0: Father, we thank you for the living hope that we have in our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we get to stand and to sing in his victory today. The one who came to seek us and to save us when we were lost, to rescue us from our sins and to raise us from death into life. And so fathers, we open up your word today as we seek you with our whole heart and what we've laid before you this week. We ask that you would show yourself to us once again. Show us who you are through your word of truth today. Remind us of how you pursued us and called our name and drawn us to yourself so that we could be called your own and sing in this victory today. So Father, we ask now as we open up your word that you would speak to our hearts, to our church words that will edify us and glorify you. We ask all of these things in the name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, uh, I was just given the signal. Um, if you do have any room, please move to the center aisle as best as possible um, of your row, not leave any seats in between. We do still have a few folks who are looking for seats. So we're going to need every seat in the room it looks like. And so if you do have any space in your row, we'd appreciate a few to uh, squeeze in toward the middle. And uh, that may not be possible. So uh, if if you have done your best, we appreciate that. And you you can have a seat. But we're Uh, So grateful to have you guys in here. Hey, uh, welcome to 2024. Welcome to Cross Community. More than that, church family, welcome to Seek Week. Who's ready uh, to pursue the Lord together this week? We are so excited about diving into everything that the Lord has in store for us as a church family in the next several days. If you don't know what Seek Week is, Seek Week is our church family coming together at the beginning of 2024 to pursue the Lord with everything that we are. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, the prophet spoke to God's people. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Everybody say that with me this morning. It is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. So, Seek Week is a week of sowing righteousness, reaping steadfast love, having the fallow ground of our hearts being broken with God's promise that he'll rain righteousness upon us once again. So uh, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that that the Lord rewards those who diligently seek him. And then Psalm 105 verse four calls us, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. So to that end, Seek Week for the next seven days is a radical restructuring uh, of all of our ministry efforts Around the continual pursuits of the presence of God. We're gonna seek the Lord in His Word. We're gonna seek Him in prayer. We're seeking Him in fasting. We're seeking Him as we worship together as a congregation. But before we took this week to pursue, we have taken a week already to prepare. Um, Who was here uh, New Year's Eve, 11 p.m., for prayer and worship? Man, we blew the roof off of this room. Times Square had absolutely nothing. On Cross Community Church last week. We, we rang in the new year singing, all glory be to Christ, in a posture of prayer and worship. That rolled right into 24 consecutive hours of prayer in this building, where almost a hundred people um, had committed to at least one hour of prayer. They would show up in 15 minute intervals. And who came through uh, the prayer uh, walk last week, or just came in here to pray at some point in time. Over the last several days, we devoted ourselves to fasting until noon every day and seeking the Lord in his word. We provided a devotional guide for you to have scripture reflections, and so who was excited to eat breakfast this morning? Just be honest. It's okay. I was very much so, and so, uh, so we've been seeking the Lord in different ways, and so now this week we pursue. So we are gathered together for worship this morning. Tonight at 6 p.m., we'll come back together for prayer and worship. If you love uh, prayer and worship here on Sunday mornings, our prayer services are that without a time constraint, and it's awesome. And so uh, we've been packing this place out for prayer and worship the last couple times we gather together. Be here tonight at 6 o'clock. 9 p.m., that's going to roll straight into a public reading from this room All 1,189 chapters of the Bible until we're finished. Who's signed up to read the Bible for an hour at some point in time? Awesome. And so uh, we'll see you guys in here at different varying points. Even if you're not signed up to read, our sanctuary is open for the duration of this effort. You can come in this room. You can sit. You can listen to the word of God being read. You can reflect on God's word. You can seek the Lord in prayer. Our staff will be here available to you to serve you wherever you are. And then uh, through the rest of this week, we're challenging community groups to get together exclusively for the purpose of prayer. And then Saturday, excuse me, beginning Thursday night, then Friday night and Saturday night, we're gonna come together for worship services at 6 p.m. where we've invited three different speakers who are gonna be challenging us to seek the Lord in different ways. Thursday night, my good friend Chris Dew is gonna be coming. Who's heard Chris's testimony before? uh, Maybe in the early days of our church. Chris has a a radical story of transformation. He was addicted to heroin. He was born with a severe speech impediment. The Lord delivers him from his addiction. Uh, He's been healed of his speech impediment. He now travels the world preaching the gospel actually planning a church in Fort Lauderdale sometime next year. He's going to challenge us on Thursday night to seek the Lord with everything we are as he shares his story. Friday night, a friend of mine named Tyson Coughlin from Charlotte, North Carolina, pastor of that area. He's gonna challenge us to seek God in his word. Tyson is one of the most gifted, dynamic, engaging speakers you'll ever have the privilege of hearing. Um, he is super easy to listen to, and he is gonna get us fired up about seeking God in his word in 2024. And then on Saturday night, um, Adam Flint from Jacksonville, Florida, he's one of the pastors uh, at the church of 1122. He's also the vice president uh, for church planting with the Acts 29 network. He's gonna call us to seek the Lord in our suffering. A couple years ago, Adam was diagnosed with cancer, and he went through a series of treatments, and recently even more lumps have been discovered. And so when Adam comes to preach to us, church family, he's not coming to to talk theory. This is a man that is in the middle of his suffering, and he's going to show us how to seek the Lord in the midst of our suffering. The next Sunday, we'll gather on Sunday mornings as we do, and we'll cap things off next Sunday night with a testimony night at 6 p.m., Come together for prayer and worship, and you'll have the opportunity to share how the Lord has moved in your hearts this week. So, we ready to do this thing? Let's do this. What we're going to do today, if you want to turn with me in your Bible, Luke chapter 19, we're going to look quickly this morning at a story of a man who knew that it was time to seek the Lord. In Luke 19, we find what is gonna be for many of us a very, very familiar story about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector who was a universally hated figure in his community. But one day Jesus comes passing through his town and Zacchaeus wants to see what all the fuss about Jesus is about. So he goes to extraordinary lengths to position himself to be able to see Jesus. But even as Zacchaeus seeks Jesus and finally gets to the place where he sees him, he's surprised to learn that long before he was seeking Jesus, Jesus had already been seeking him. As we gather together in this room this morning, especially at the beginning of a new year, I think all of us are maybe coming in here from slightly different angles all of us are maybe seeking slightly different things. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're at the beginning of a new year, maybe this year you're really just seeking to grow in your knowledge and understanding of who the Lord is and to grow the depth of your relationship with the Lord. Or maybe you profess to be a believer, but you've just been disengaged from church for a little while. Life got crazy and hectic and you're trying to re-engage. Or, or even if you have been engaged, but you're just in a place where you're like, man, my, my faith feels dull. It feels cold. I, I feel a little bit numb. I feel a little bit dry. And what you're seeking this morning is have the, the fires of your heart stoked once again with love for Jesus. Or maybe, man, you're not a believer at all, and, and you're really just here today wondering what all the fuss is about. Like, who is this Jesus guy, and what has he come to do? And that's the question we're going to see answered from Luke 19 this morning. The key truth we're going to see in Luke 19 today is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Regardless of where you're coming from this morning, here's what I hope you walk away with today. However you're seeking Jesus, know that long before you were ever seeking him, he was seeking you. You are not here today by accident. Today, for every single person in this room, this is a divine appointment that God placed on your calendar long before you were ever born. Long before we were ever seeking him, God was seeking us. And we can know today that as we pursue him with everything we are, he will meet us where we are and bring transformation to our lives because he came to seek and he came to save the law. So from Luke chapter 19, let's read beginning with verses one through five. Luke writes here that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, if you do a rough translation of the Greek, small in stature translates to that he was a wee little man. And um, if you have a good study Bible, there might be a footnote that says, in a wee little man was, was he. If you didn't grow up in church, I'm sorry, we're weird. And I don't have time to explain that. He was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus. For Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And by showing us who he is, and, and, or by telling us what he came to do, Jesus is showing us who he is. And so we see first from verses one through five this morning about Jesus, that he came to find sinners. Jesus came to find sinners, We know from the gospel accounts that Jesus had an itinerant ministry that had him traveling from place to place. And in Luke 19, he's passing through Jericho. This would be the last major city that he would go through on his way to Jerusalem, about 15 miles away, where he would soon be crucified. And and as he passes through Jerusalem, we're told that there's a man named Zacchaeus who is a chief tax collector. We're gonna come back to the significance of that in just a moment. But at this point in time in the life of ministry of Jesus, his fame had spread everywhere because no one had ever heard anyone preach the way that Jesus preached. No one ever saw anything do the things that Jesus has done. He would, he would open blinded eyes to see and lepers could be cleansed of their disease and dead people were being raised to life. So everywhere Jesus went, massive crowds of people would follow because everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. Everybody wanted to be healed by Jesus. And, and Zacchaeus, he wants to see what the fuss is all about. But this is our problem for our buddy Zacchaeus because he's small, Right? He's a little guy, like he's not gonna be able to see, but Zacchaeus is so eager to see who Jesus is, he runs ahead on the route and he climbs a tree to make sure he's positioned well when Jesus comes walking through. Zacchaeus is like the guy who wants to go to a 4th of July show that he's gonna be really crowded. So he takes his lawn chair out there at like eight o'clock in the morning and and makes sure he has a spot reserved so that he can show up when it's time to see the big show. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. That's what we see in verse three. It says, he was seeking Jesus to see who Jesus was. And that's what all of us should be seeking today. We should be seeking to see who Jesus is. And I just wonder this morning, do you know who Jesus is? You know, it's possible, guys. I hope you recognize this. It is possible to grow up in church, but not actually see Jesus. It's possible to be religious, but to miss Jesus. I think in our culture, it's easy to bring ideas and and presuppositions and, and convictions and personal opinions about who Jesus is. But have you seen him for who he truly is? As he's revealed himself to us, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. So Jesus comes walking down the road. And when he comes, Zacchaeus doesn't just see Jesus. Jesus sees him. And Jesus doesn't just see him. He calls him by his name. Understand long before you and I were seeking Jesus, Jesus was already seeking after us. In fact, the reality is apart from the spirit of God drawing us to himself in his grace and showing us who he is, scripture tells us none of us are actually seeking after him. This is from Psalm chapter 14, verses two and three. The psalmist writes that the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. This is the reality of our sinful condition apart from relationship in Jesus Christ. If it were not for the goodness of God and the spirit of God drawing us to himself and opening up our eyes to see him, to know who he is, none of us would be seeking after him. We can only have a seek week because we have a seeking savior who first pursued us and came after us and has called us to himself. Jesus came to seek us and to save us when we were lost. And he calls us to be people who run and do the same. Over the last week, as we've reflected upon the life of of LJ Washington, and as we've uh, reflected upon his legacy and his story, he was a big part of our student ministry family. And the way LJ got connected to our student ministry family was for, through the pursuit of one of our students named Dylan Brights. And if you guys know Dylan, uh, he's an incredible kid. And he's just been growing in his faith and his understanding of the Lord. And he's had a long, a long lifelong friendship with, with LJ. And, and over the last few years though, the Lord had really just burdened Dylan for LJ. And he, he began to pursue him. He began to invite him, began, began to draw him in. It was through his time in our student ministry, LJ's eyes were open to the beauty of the gospel open to the beauty of Jesus. And this past summer, he was meeting with Cole, our student minister, and they were talking about what real repentance is, what it means to turn from a life of sin and to run after Jesus. And LJ communicated his desire just to faithfully walk with the Lord, to be consistent with the walk Lord, to pursue the Lord. And he was so marked by the joy of Jesus, but it began with the pursuit of a friend. God cares about individual people, There's a massive crowd of people in Jericho that day pressing around Jesus and Jesus sees the one guy that everybody hated the most. God cares about individual people and he pursues us and calls us to be people who do the same. So listen, maybe you came here today just to kind of fly under the radar. Maybe you came in here today very much with the intention of not being seen. But friend, I hope you understand this this morning. No matter how hard you hide, or how much you try to hide, Jesus is undefeated at hide and seek. Like all time champion. There's absolutely nowhere we go where he can't see us. And even if we're not seeking him, he's seeking you today. If you are in this room this morning, it is because Jesus Christ is seeking you. He is drawing you to himself. He's calling you by name. And he's even inviting himself over to your house. We see in verses six and seven, as the story continues to develop of Zacchaeus, Jesus has called him. So it says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, all the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the crowd, it says when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This is his mission statement for his life. It's why he came. He came to find sinners. And Jesus came to find sinners, second we see in this text this morning, because Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Now the charge that's often leveled against Jesus throughout the gospel accounts is that he ate with sinners and tax collectors. Now, here's something you need to understand about tax collectors, especially during the time of Jesus. Like, honestly, it's probably still true when we think about tax collectors today. If that's your job, like praise God for you. But let's just be honest, we're probably not happy when we see you coming, right? But but especially in this context, tax collectors were universally hated figures. Generally, they were Jewish people themselves who were contracted by the Roman government to collect taxes from a particular region. The way a tax collector would be assigned a particular region is they would basically put in a bid to the government and say, hey, this is how much I think I can get from this area. And then the contract would go to the highest bidder. And here's the thing, a tax collector, this could be a very lucrative business because they were allowed to pocket anything above the quota they were required to take. And the people were powerless to do anything against them because they were agents of the Roman government. So here you got this little guy with a Napoleon complex, right? Like just just absolute abuse of privilege and power and position. They would would just, just absolutely use their position to abuse people and to take advantage of them at the expense of padding their own pockets. And so he joyfully runs down the tree to see Jesus because think about this, as someone like this in the community, nobody wants to be his friend, When is the last time another person has actually wanted to be in his house? Has anyone ever wanted to be in his house? Like this would have utterly incensed every person there. You're going to sit with him? Do you believe this, Jesus? Do you have any idea how much pain he's caused us, how much he's taken from us, how unjust this is, how badly he's oppressed us? And yet Jesus already had an itinerary for the rest of his day. I'm coming to your house. He was not afraid to be seen with Zacchaeus. He wasn't afraid to be seen because Jesus is the friend of sinners. In Matthew 9, Jesus calls another tax collector, one of his disciples, Matthew, to be one of his disciples. And the Pharisees, they asked this question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It says in Matthew 9 that when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous or people who think they are righteous, but sinners. You know, moments like this and stories like this can really challenge us because man, especially where we are as a culture today, we love when Jesus stands up for the little guy, right? We love when he stands up for the poor and for the oppressed and for the marginalized and the vulnerable. We love when Jesus stands up for the oppressed. But how do you feel when Jesus stands up for the oppressor and offers him grace too? We love when Jesus stands up for the person who is hurting. How do you feel when Jesus stands up for the person who's causing the hurting and comes to his house? You know, the Lord really just tested me in my own heart in this past week. It was uh, about the middle of the week. Uh, myself, Cole, um, Dustin, our, one of our associate pastors, Grace, and our worship pastor, we went and we met with, with LJ's mother at their house. And uh, we're talking about the details of the service and just trying to minister to her as best as we can in that moment. And I'm standing in this living room where all this happened. And I'm, I'm sitting with a mother who has just been robbed of a son as a result of an act of, of senseless violence, just an utter disregard for, for the value of human life. I'm looking at her home, I'm looking at these windows that have bullet holes and drapes with bullet holes and a wall full of bullet holes. And I am feeling a lot of things in my heart for the people who did this. And I promise you, grace was not one of them. I didn't just want justice, I wanted vengeance. I was so angry. I wanted them caught, I wanted them held accountable, I want them held responsible. And yes and amen, we pray for justice. But but in that moment of anger, the Lord just pricked my heart and he reminded me, Taylor, there's grace for them too. If there was grace for you, there's also grace for them. And and guys, I think this is what, what, what messes with us sometimes. We get used sometimes to Jesus confronting us with uncomfortable truth, but here Jesus is confronting us with uncomfortable grace. And I would just press this a little bit further this morning. If your version of the gospel doesn't make you a little bit uncomfortable about the kinds of people that Jesus can save, then friend, you don't have the gospel of Jesus. If the gospel not big enough to save everyone, the gospel's not big enough to save anyone. If it's not big enough to save them, it's not big enough to save you because none of us were seeking after God. All of us had fallen short of his glory. And whenever we start to play these games of, of man like, well, you know, I, I kind of needed a little bit of grace, but those kind of people, they need like a whole lot of grace. Then we have completely missed the point. Just one chapter earlier, if you go to Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of a a Pharisee and of a tax collector. There's a religious leader and a tax collector, one of these oppressors, one of these universally hated figures. And this is how Jesus paints the picture. He said there's a Pharisee who's praying on this side. And as he's praying, he says to the Lord, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector, this oppressor this one who's corrupt and who's taking advantage of people. I thank you, I'm not like the sinners. I'm not like the extortioners. I'm not like the adulterers. I thank you so much that I'm not like them. And then Jesus says of the tax collector that he's doing the exact opposite. This guy full of corruption, this guy full of greed, this guy marked by injustice, he won't even lift his head up and he's beating his chest. He's saying, God be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. Guys, if the gospel is not big enough for everyone, it's not big enough for anyone. If it's not big enough for everyone, it's not big enough for anyone. If it's not big enough for the people, even the ones you most hate, then it's not big enough for you either. But listen, here's the good news in all of that. The good news in all of that means anybody can be saved. There is absolutely no one who is too far gone. Friend, it does not matter what you did last decade. It doesn't matter what you were doing last year, what you were doing last month, what you were doing last week, what you were doing last night. If you are here today, it's because God put a divine appointment on your calendar so that you could see who Jesus is, that he is the savior who is the friend of sinners, who not only calls you by your name, but invites himself over to your house and is not afraid to be seen with you. The apostle Paul tells us that Jesus, who was sinless, he became our sin, the one who knew no sin. He stood in our place. He lived the perfect life we could never live. And then he became our sin. And he went to the cross that you and I deserve. Our savior is the friend of sinners, even though we were once enemies of God. And so as we see this picture of Jesus this morning, we need to be reminded He's not waiting on our permission to love him. And he doesn't need your permission for him to love you. He is pursuing you long before you're pursuing him. And he knows your name, even if you've rejected his, because our savior is the friend of sinners. Luke 19, uh, verses eight through 10, the passage closes out like this. It says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, today, everybody say today. Today, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Scripture says of Abraham, he believed God, and his belief was counted to him as righteousness. And so it's this belief that Zacchaeus has in Jesus. He has repented of his sins and he has received the perfect righteousness of Jesus. He's a son of Abraham. The verse 10, Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to find sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And finally, Jesus shows us this morning that he will forgive sinners. Jesus will forgive sinners. Zacchaeus encounters the love of God. and It absolutely wrecks him. I mean, it just transforms him from the inside out. He built a life of wealth and luxury by abusing his power, abusing position, abusing others, defrauding people who were completely powerless to tell him no. And in an instant, all of that greed is transformed into generosity. You know, what Zacchaeus really displays for us here is true and genuine repentance, a true transformation, a true turning from his sin to walk in the righteousness of God. And guys, sometimes I think this is what we get wrong about repentance. I think sometimes we equate, we, we it's it's close, but we equate the feeling of conviction with the action of repentance. And here's what I mean like by that. We're we're living our life, we're doing something that's just out of step with the Word of God. We come to a church service, you know, somebody says something about it, or we're reading a book, or we're listening to a podcast, and it just, it just cuts a little bit deep. And, and you know we leave church like, oh, that sermon wrecked me or that book wrecked me or that, that conference wrecked me. And then it's like, but anyway, we just kind of move on with our lives. Like nothing actually changed. Like we just, we just come you know once a week for like our hour long little CrossFit workout thing. And then we just go back to eating donuts the rest of the week, right? Like nothing actually changes. We take the feeling of conviction and we equate it to the action of repentance. Church, repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of attitude that results in a change of action. Zacchaeus did not get up and testify, empty words. Hey, I'm a changed man. I promise I'm gonna do better from now on. I mean, let's be honest. If that's what he had done, we're probably questioning the legitimacy of his conversion, right? It's like, brother, I, and listen, I, I know how I'm wired. I'm a little Pharisee at heart. You know, when I, I know people's history and story and then suddenly they're like, I found Jesus. Man, I'm just that guy that wants to be like, yeah, we'll see about that stown honest, Like it's easy to, to, when you see someone live a pattern of life for a long time, we have to guard our hearts against our self-righteousness. So we start to question, but he doesn't just make empty promises. We actually have no record of Jesus telling him to do this, but he stands up and he says, Lord, all these poor people I've taken advantage of, half of everything I have given it all back. Is if I've defrauded anybody, if I've taken what I shouldn't have taken, I'm not just gonna give them what I take, I'm gonna give them back four times what I took. So, man, if I, if I took 25, I'm giving them 100. And if I took 100, I'm giving them 400. And if I took 400, I'm I, I just gonna just go on and on and on and on and on. He's like, no matter what it is, he's gonna do it. And what is the response that Jesus shows today? Salvation has come to this house. You see, Zacchaeus didn't just have the feeling of conviction. His, his conversion is evidenced by the actions of repentance, of a truly transformed heart, of a truly changed mind and a truly changed life. Just again, just before Luke 19, if you go back to Luke 18, there's another encounter that Jesus has with a very wealthy man. There's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he asks him the million dollar question, right? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question everybody wants to know, Right? And, and so Jesus, you know, just gives the answer. He starts talking about the commandments and the rich young ruler responds and says, hey, I've kept all these. One of the gospel accounts tells us that Jesus looking at him, listen, loved him. And he said, but you lack one thing. And then he tells the man, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And Luke 18 says that the rich young ruler walked away, sorry because he was a man of many possessions. So there was sorrow, there was sadness, there was some conviction, but there was no repentance. This is the difference between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. The rich young ruler met Jesus and he walked away remorseful. Zacchaeus met Jesus and he walked away repentant with a life that had been transformed by the gospel. Whenever we meet Jesus church, we we walk away different. And and this is where I wanna balance out what I just said a moment ago. Jesus is absolutely the friend of sinners, but let's make sure we don't miss this this morning, church. While Jesus is the friend of sinners, Jesus is not the friend of sin. And, And this is where my generation in particular, guys, I think some of us are going a little bit too far where we have to be so, so, so careful. Let's understand, Jesus did not sit at the table with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes because he wanted to be seen as winsome and tolerant and open-minded. He sat at the table with tax collectors and sinners to call them to repentance that they would find life in his name. He loved them enough to confront them in their sin. And I'm worried my generation, some of us think we can love people better than Jesus did by not saying the things that they most need to hear that would call them out of death into life doesn't mean we beat people over the heads with with the Bible, but we have to be people who are willing to love them enough to call them out of what is enslaving them the most. Exactly the way Jesus did with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had taken advantage of the poor, so he gave half to the poor. He had defrauded people, so he paid back four times as much. And understand here, Zacchaeus, he's, he's not buying his salvation. The generosity is evidence of a transformed heart. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by any amount of money that we can give. There's no price we can pay to pay the price for our sins. But because Jesus had paid the price, was going to pay the price for his sins, because he had been freed from his love of money and his love of things through his encounter with Jesus Christ, his greed is transformed into generosity. And gospel people are generous people. The Lord frees the grip that we have in our heart of things because we know that ultimately all of it belongs to him. Brennan Manning wrote a couple decades ago in his book, The Ragged Muffin Gospel. For those who feel their lives are a grave disappointment to God. If you're someone like Zacchaeus, I mean, it's not just that you have been hurt. Maybe you're even the type of person who has caused a lot of hurt and you know it and you see it and you feel it and it's wrecking you. For those who feel their lives are a grave disappointment to God, it requires enormous trust and reckless raging confidence to accept that the love of Jesus Christ knows no shadow of alteration or change. I think it's easy whenever we've just been in a mess with our lives and we've repeated the same cycles of mistakes over and over and over again. And we're just racked by the guilt and the shame and the self-condemnation that we place on ourselves and that the enemy speaks into our lives. We, we quickly start to disqualify ourselves from the grace of God. And that's why we need to remember that your salvation is not predicated on your ability to seek after God. Your salvation is predicated on the truth that God already came seeking after you. He did not need your good works to love you. He loved you long before you knew him, long before you desired him. He is pursuing you and calling your name today. What we see in the life of Zacchaeus is is really what was proclaimed by, by Hosea centuries before to God's people. This is is Zacchaeus. He's sowing righteousness. He's reaping steadfast love. The fallow ground of his heart is broken up. The hardness of his heart is, is torn up. There's fresh soil for the seeds of the gospel, and Christ rains righteousness upon him. Salvation has come to this house today because Jesus came to seek, and Jesus came to save so as we close together this morning, church, I wanna give us two challenges, two response points, especially in light of everything that's come in the week ahead in the light of what we've seen in this text together this morning. The first challenge for you today and especially this week is this. Seek to know who Jesus is. Seek to know who Jesus is. Not just to know about Jesus or to learn about Jesus, but to know Jesus. We're seeking the Lord, we're seeking after him, not just seeking after what he gives, we are seeking after him because he is ultimately what he offers. And so we're running after Jesus. What we're trying to do with Seek Week is we're trying to facilitate an environment the next seven days where it is easy for you to encounter the Lord through his word, to just come and simply hear the word of God as it's being read and to meditate upon the word of God and to seek the Lord together in prayer. Seek him in prayer with your community group. Seek him as we gather together for worship and we, we listen to the preaching of the word on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. I'm trying to make it easy for you. And listen, I, I get it. It's the beginning of a new year. I've got three young boys. Our family has a crazy schedule just like you do. And it doesn't stop just because I'm a pastor and it's Seek Week. Like we're navigating this with you as, as well. And so our encouragement to you is, listen, the goal this week isn't to check a bunch of boxes and do a lot of things. The goal of Seek Week is for you to see Jesus. If, if you can be here for five minutes one night, then come. But we're trying to create an environment where it's easy for you to step into an atmosphere of worship where you can hear the voice of God in his word. And we challenge you, devote yourself to this this week. Listen, even if you weren't here last week, we, we encourage you to take this week, this prayer guide with you and follow these daily devotionals for the next several days. I know many uh, in our church who already did this last week are planning to do this again in the week ahead. Seek the Lord with everything you are. But guys, even as we seek the Lord, don't forget The second response for us today, know that Jesus is seeking you. Long before you ever attempted to seek him, he was already seeking after you. And in fact, we can only seek him because he has been seeking after us. If you're here today, it's because Jesus is seeking you. If you're here today, it's because Jesus sees you. If you're here today, it's because Jesus is calling on your name. Even in the midst of a great crowd, he still sees the one and he still knows your name. You know, Over the last um, week, as we again have celebrated and reflected upon the life of LJ, there's a lot that's kind of been stirred up for me personally, because there's a lot of parallels of some, some personal things I've gone through as a follower of Jesus to, to what's unfolded over the last week. You know, we, we see um, in this text this morning how Jesus came for the one, even in the great crowd. He, he came for Zacchaeus and shared the story of Dylan, who, man, in this crowd of students, he pursued this one, he pursued LJ and he drew him closer to faith in Jesus Christ. We have prayed for God to somehow use this terrible situation to redeem it and use it for his glory. We gathered together to celebrate LJ's life yesterday. And we know after the gospel was proclaimed at that service, we're aware of at least one person who said, I want to know this Jesus that LJ knew and has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. We praise God for that. We praise God that in this crowd, there was one who said yes to Jesus. You know, when I was 14 years old, this was in the fall of 2001, I was a freshman in high school and grew up in Boone, North Carolina. And um, that year within our student ministry, we experienced a death as well. It was a friend of my brother's who uh, took his own life he was a senior in high school, and it was just a devastating situation. And you know, I'd grown up in the church, uh, but pretty much up to that point in time, I was only there because mom and dad were dragging me in the door. Our student ministry met in a gym. So I was, I was there mostly for basketball with maybe a side of Jesus. Um, always liked to sit in the back with my friends, no interest in paying attention, no interest in, in participating or being involved and, and already in subtle ways had already decided like, hey, as soon as I'm out of the house, I'm, I'm done with all this. And it was just through that situation that the Lord began to get my attention and to grab hold of my heart. And I showed up that Sunday night for our student ministry a couple days later like I did most weeks, very much trying to fly under the radar and not be seen. But that night our youth pastor, he got up and he was trying to help us make sense of everything that unfolded. And he pointed us to the gospel like Cole did with our students in this room last week. And as he presented the gospel and gave an opportunity to respond in that whole room, probably a hundred students that night, there was one very timid hand of a 14 year old boy who wasn't at all seeking Jesus, but learned that night that Jesus was seeking after him. And God used the worst of the worst to bring out the best of the best in my life, to break up the fallow ground of my heart and to set me on a life of seeking after him. And so church, as we close together this morning, we're gonna do something in just a moment. We don't necessarily do every single week, but we wanna give you an opportunity to respond. At the beginning of a new year, whether you're a believer who is saying, hey, I just, I just need the fallow ground of my heart to be broken up. I need there to be fresh soil to receive the gospel once again, to, to have my heart and have my life reawakened in Jesus. Or again, maybe like Zacchaeus, your, your intention today was to show up and be completely unnoticed, but rest assured, friend, God notices you and he sees you and he knows your name. And He is divinely appointed for you to be here today. I'm gonna to give you the opportunity to proclaim faith and profess faith and Jesus Christ. And so if you'll bow your heads with me for just a moment, let's pray and reflect before we respond together. In just a second, it's it's gonna be very, very simple. I'm I'm gonna ask if you are in a place where you're saying, hey Taylor, I'm I'm a believer in Jesus, but honestly, my my love has just grown cold. I feel numb. Maybe you've just been disengaged for a while, but you, you so badly want to have the fire's of your love for Jesus reignited. You want the fallow ground of your heart to be broken up so that righteousness would reign on you once again. Or again, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ at all, to say, I want to know this Jesus who came to find me, who came as the friend of sinners and who came to forgive me of my sin. I wanna quit running from him I realize today that he sees me and he's been seeking after me. I wanna turn from my sins. I wanna walk in his righteousness. Let him do the work of repentance in my heart. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I wanna follow him. Today, salvation can come to you as it did for Zacchaeus. And so if you're in either one of those groups in just a second, what I'm gonna ask you to do while our heads are still bowed is I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand. We're gonna warm up to this a little bit. But after you've lifted your hand in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand up in this room where everybody's going to be able to see you. Because like Zacchaeus, when Jesus called people, he called them publicly. And this is not to shame you. This is to celebrate you. Jesus was not afraid to be seen with Zacchaeus. He's not afraid to be seen with you. This is the safest place on the planet where you could ever do something like this. This isn't to embarrass you, this isn't to shame you, this isn't to sing you out, this is to celebrate you as our brother or sister in Jesus. Someone whose salvation has come to today or someone whose heart, a fallow ground is being broken up this morning. And so if you're in either one of those groups this morning, you say, Taylor, I'm a believer, but I desire for the fallow ground of my heart to be broken, or I'm not a believer, I desire to become a believer in Jesus Christ, to follow him, I have believed, And I'm eager to follow Jesus. If that's you, our heads are still bowed for now. Will you just slip up your hand across the room? Praise God. I mean, that's awesome. Praise God. Okay, so for all of you with your hands up, I want you to look at me for just a moment. Let's make eye contact here. It's still just you and me right now. In just a second, I'm gonna invite everybody else. We're gonna lift our heads up and I'm gonna ask you to stand up. And we wanna celebrate you. We wanna praise God for what he's doing in your heart and in your life. And at the end of our service today, we're gonna to have a prayer team that's available to you. And they're gonna be up front here. And we encourage you, come meet with them and let them minister to you and help you take next steps wherever you are. So Father, we thank you for those who have expressed their desire for you to move in their heart and life today, and have surrendered their hearts and their lives to you Thank you that salvation has come to this place and we continue to invite you, Lord, break up the fallow ground of our hearts. Help us to sow righteousness and reap steadfast love and we beg you, Lord, rain righteousness upon us once again. Father, we praise you for the work you've done in this place this morning and that you're continuing to do and that you will do in the week ahead. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.